Support for this program is provided by Chevron. This is Politico Energy. I'm Nirmal Malaikul. It almost seems like every day when you watch the news, you see headline after headline about climate disasters. Wildfires over here, hurricanes over there, flooding all over. Have you ever stopped, though, and wondered, do those people who live in those communities move? Do they stay? And what's the political impact of those decisions? Today, Politico's Ben Lefebvre on climate migrants, people leaving their homes because of destructive weather. It's Tuesday, November 30th. Ben, you wrote this great story for Politico magazine about climate migrants. Everyone should check it out on our website. Let's start here. Where have climate migrants recently impacted U.S. politics? Most recently, probably out of, I would say, in Miami, California, Idaho, but it's kind of happening all over. I would also mention some places where it looks like it might start impacting politics would be like, for example, in southeastern Virginia. So, But those are the main places for right now. Got it. And how have experts tracked climate migration? It doesn't seem like an easy task. Yeah. And I'll just say that right now people are preferring to use the term climate relocation just because a lot of times it's hard to track people and they may not move very far. I mean, what we, what we would consider migration might be like, you know, hundreds or thousands of miles. Some of these things are just relocating to the next county. And the way they're tracking people is using like changes of address filed with the U.S. postal system and kind of matching that with areas that may have had some kind of climate disaster in, in the recent past. Some have been using IRS tax returns or if a larger number of people seem to be filing tax returns using a certain address compared to where they may have been in the past, or cell phone data showing where people are. There used to be, interestingly enough, a question that I believe it was FEMA would ask periodically of people who they assisted after disaster asking, you know, did you move permanently after this disaster? And they would get responses. But FEMA stopped asking that question fairly recently just for just kind of a bureaucratic reason. But it's from what I've heard, they may actually start asking that again going forward. Interesting. So climate migrants, by definition, are leaving from one place to another. Are those moves causing friction in the places they are relocating to? Yeah, you just historically, anytime you get a sizable chunk of people moving from one place to the other can cause some friction. So we've been seeing, like in the story mentions, tens of thousands of people moving out of the area that was devastated by the campfire in California, south to Chico, California. For a number of reasons, it kind of can cause friction. Home prices will increase or rents will increase if you, if you can even find a place. More difficult maybe to find a job if, if there's you know all of a sudden more candidates for positions. But you know, it doesn't have to. We saw in Florida when a large number of people from Puerto Rico moved to Florida after the hurricanes over there, there was already a pretty sizable Puerto Rican community there. So they were able to assimilate more quickly into the region. Got it. So shifting gears here a little bit, Ben, can you talk about fears around global migration, meaning refugees flocking to the U.S. versus this internal dynamic of U.S. citizens relocating within the country? Yeah, when people think of climate migration, they normally think of 
floods, you know, in some far distant land leading to people wanting to move and or they think of it maybe in the US as kind of like maybe in the year 2050 everyone moving to North Dakota to escape, you know, <laughs> you know, the flooding coastlines or droughts. But as as we've seen, it's already been happening. I mean, one of the things that a lot of people I talked to mentioned over and over again is with these kind of disasters, people tend to move like to the next county, you know, or closer. They want to keep working at the job they had or they want their kids to keep going to the schools they were going to. So they don't want to make these big, long treks. But even then, like as I mentioned in the story, when you have large numbers of people moving, even if it's just one or two counties over, that can bring a, a political tension. And what one person was telling me, one expert who's been kind of studying this, is you, you almost have two routes for changes in politics. One will be people will move into new areas, but that's only the people who have the means to move, who have like the money to do this. You're also going to have changes resulting from people basically being stranded in some places if, if they can't afford to move. So what is that going to mean for a city council where basically their tax base is eroding, but they've not only they have to kind of maintain their, their present city services, but they also have to somehow pay for climate adaptation. So you, you can see where this is kind of causing multiple friction points at, at different locations. Also, on Monday, the Department of Transportation released how it wants to structure the Biden administration's flagship electric vehicle charging programs. One key component of the framework focuses on vehicle charging infrastructure. The agency wrote Monday that charging infrastructure must be, quote, open to the general public or to authorized commercial motor vehicle operators from more than one company. That's a jab at Tesla, whose superchargers can only be used by Tesla vehicles. Earlier this year, Tesla CEO Elon Musk pledged to open the network up to non-Tesla users. But it's been a slow start, with only 10 stations open in the Netherlands on a trial basis. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com slash morningenergy. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Nirmal Malaykul, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Did you know that Chevron supports the ambitions of the Paris Agreement? In fact, they've even tied their executives' compensation to lowering the carbon emissions intensity of their operations because it's only human to help power a brighter future. Learn more at chevron.com slash lower carbon.